Welcome to the 66th episode of Egg Timer Philosophy. For today's episode, the topic will be free will and alternative possibilities, with a special focus given to the American philosopher Harry Frankfurt. There have been a number of previous episodes of the Egg Timer devoted to the topic of free will and one looking at the weakness of will, so if you're interested in these topics, you can go back in the catalog and check out some of those earlier episodes. Frankfurt's major contribution to ideas about free will is that he put pressure on the notion that alternative possibilities are needed for freedom and the moral responsibility that follows from free action. Now, it's a fairly intuitive idea to think that people need alternative possibilities to have meaningful freedom. If a person can only do one thing and not act otherwise, then can we really say that they have meaningful free will? or are responsible for what they do? That's a, that question has a long history, and there's been a lot of debate between compatibilists who say that freedom is compatible with a determined future, and incompatibilists who say that it isn't. So the question isn't new or settled, but compatibilists have always had a tough go of it or sell to many who think that freedom has to in some way involve alternative possibilities and a future that's not determined. In 1969, Frankfurt comes along and publishes a groundbreaking paper entitled Alternative Possibilities and Moral Responsibility. And there, he offers a number of examples meant to challenge the idea that freedom and moral responsibility must involve alternative possibilities. These have, been, these have become known as Frankfurt cases. And you can find that paper for free by running a quick Google Scholar search. I want to now turn to an example from that paper, which Frankfurt uses to challenge the idea that freedom must involve alternative possibilities. And this is quoting Frankfurt directly involving a scenario with two men named Jones and Black. Suppose someone, Black let us say, wants Jones to perform a certain action. Black is prepared to go to considerable lengths to get his way, but he prefers to avoid showing his hand unnecessarily. So he waits until Jones is about to make up his mind what to do, and he does nothing unless it's clear to him, Black is an excellent judge of such things, that Jones is going to decide to do something other than what he wants him to do. If it does become clear to clear that Jones is going to decide to do something else, Black takes effective steps to ensure that Jones decides to do and that he does do what he wants him to do. Whatever Jones's initial preferences and inclinations then, Black will have his way. What steps will Black take if he believes he must take steps in order to ensure that Jones decides and acts as he wishes? anyone with a theory concerning what could have done otherwise means may answer this question for himself by describing whatever measures he would regard as sufficient to guarantee that in the relevant sense Jones cannot do otherwise. Let Black pronounce a terrible threat and in this way both force Jones to perform the desired action and prevent him from performing a forbidden one. Let Black give Jones a potion, 
or put him under hypnosis. And in some such way as these generate in Jones an irresistible inner compulsion to perform the act Black once performed and to avoid others. Or let Black manipulate the minute processes of Jones's brain and nervous system in some way more direct, so that causal forces running in and out of his synapses and along the poor man's nerves determine that he chooses to act and that he does act in the one way and not in any other. Given any conditions under which it will be maintained that Jones cannot do otherwise. In other words, let Black bring it about that these conditions prevail. The structure of the example is flexible enough, I think, to find a way around any charge of irrelevance by accommodating the doctor, the, the doctrine on which the charge is based. Now suppose that Black never has to show his hand because Jones, for reasons of his own, decides to perform and does perform the very action Black wants him to perform. In that case, it seems clear Jones will bear precisely the same moral responsibility for what he does as he would have borne if Black had not been ready to take steps to ensure that he do it. It would be quite unreasonable to excuse Jones for his action or to withhold the praise to which it would normally entitle him on the basis of the fact that he could not have done otherwise. This fact played no role at all in leading him to act as he did. He would have acted the same even if it had not been a fact. Indeed, everything happened just as it would have happened without Black's presence in the situation and without his readiness to intrude into it. With this example, Frankfurt is driving at the idea that Jones could have only taken one course of action. He couldn't have done otherwise. The moment that he maybe would have done otherwise, Black would have taken matters into his own hands and compelled Jones to, to act in exactly the way that he did and which Black wished him to act. In the example, Black doesn't actually intervene. But the genius behind Frankfurt's scenario is that the lack of intervention from Black doesn't really matter because its being on ready standby means that Jones will act in a way with no alternative possibilities. The result of Jones's actions are determined to end in only one way. There is no other way that they can go. But despite this lack of alternatives, it sure seems like Jones can be said to be responsible for his actions and in turn be said to perform them freely. For a related example here, consider a scenario that I've come up with and often share with my students when the topic turns to free will. You and 20 other people are in a room listening to an hour-long lecture or participating in a seminar that begins at noon. At exactly five minutes past noon, a team of very quiet locksmiths lock the only door to the room with the strongest lock in the world, and there's no other way to leave. At exactly five minutes before one, these same locksmiths very silently remove the lock and everyone leaves at one is normal. At no point did anyone try to get up to go get a drink of water or to use the restroom or anything like that. And in fact, no one ever suspected 
or finds out that there are these odd locksmiths who like to engage in real-life Frankfurt-style antics. Did you make a free choice to stay in the room for the entire hour and not just the five minutes before or after these stealthy locksmiths arrived and departed? Intuitions about this example will differ. I've seen a lot of different reactions to the to this example from my students who occasionally when I give the example glance at the door for a second and wonder if I've locked us all in. But Frankfurt's take on a case like this is to suggest that you freely stayed in the room for the entire hour because when assessing freedom and moral responsibility, we ought to focus on your reasons and not your alternatives. You sat in your chair for an hour and decided to stay of your own accord. Whatever was going on with the locks on the doors that eliminated the possibility of leaving did not impact your reasons, your freedom, or your responsibility for staying. Frankfurt cases still remain relevant today in the free will debate because they force us to consider that perhaps freedom has more to do with our reasons for acting than the actual number of possibilities that lie before us. Until next time on Egg Timer Philosophy, wishing you good philosophical vibes. (laughs) 